Sinners. This is week th- 13 of your story. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, Throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift up their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended him. We're here today because we believe that that God transforms lives, that God is alive, that God is active, that God continues to speak, right? That God comes to us, that God has a plan for us. And all of this is situated in something that we call God's story. It's the Bible. It's how God comes to us and speaks to us and guides us and, and starts to get inside and, and, and do that transforming work. And what God invites each of you to do is to take his story and to make it your own story. Guys, the Sunday we're on week 13 of that story. And it's this absolutely incredible passage about Jesus going head-to-head with with Satan in the wilderness. And it's important for you because it it teaches us something about temptation, but but it also teaches something about just how absolutely smoking amazing Jesus is, period, all right? And and, and out of that, there's even something laced in this story that, that, that can guide us and teach us how the Bible goes about telling God's story in the way it does. So the story that we're looking at today, it it pops up in three places. Um, It's in the fours. You can find it in Matthew 4 or in Luke 4. It's also in Mark 1. I know that doesn't work, but go with me, all right? We're going to track here today with Matthew 4. Now, the way that each gospel writer tells the story is a little bit different, and different nuances start to come to the surface if you're going to look closely at the three. We don't have time to get too much into that today, but I encourage you, check each of the three out. But we're going to track with Matthew today, and the way that the story begins is that it says, Jesus is baptized, and immediately after being baptized, he's led out into the wilderness by the Spirit of God, to be tempted by the devil for 40 days. Now, off the bat, let's just start framing this. The wilderness is a, well, it's a scary place, right? Things don't grow out there. Wild animals are out there. Shelter isn't out there. It's not a nice place to be. And theologically, because of that, the desert throughout the Old Testament came to have a sinister feel and a sinister meaning. Let me show you one passage here today and just kind of situate it. This is from the prophet Isaiah. He says, it will never be inhabited or lived in for all generations. It's a place desolated by God. Arabs will not pitch their tents there. 
Shepherds will not make their flocks lie down there. But wild animals will lie down there, and its houses will be full of howling creatures. There ostriches will live, and there goat demons will dance. You never want to be a place where the ostriches live, right? You, you just know bad things are coming your way when you open the window and an ostrich is out there. You know, signs of the apocalypse right before your eyes. And so God takes Jesus, and it says, by the Spirit of God. There's no getting around this. Matthew says, in the Spirit. Luke will say, by the power of the Spirit, by means of the Spirit. Luke will, uh, Mark will even say that the Spirit cast Jesus out into the desert, which off the bat is kind of weird, isn't it? Because why, why would God do that to me? That's not very nice. And it leads and begs the question, will God lead you into temptation? Well, the answer of this story is absolutely yes. Now, be clear. Read this from James. God does not tempt. God is not screwing with you, messing with you, trying to catch you or running a sting operation on you. All right? God does not tempt. We are tempted, as James says, when our own evil desires entice us and drag us away. However, God will lead us into places of temptation and into situations of temptation. God will lead you there. Otherwise, I mean, think about it. Why do you pray in the Lord's Prayer and lead us not into temptation? Why do you got to pray it if he's not going to do it? Right? Which says something very interesting about God. It's been said that one of the most dangerous places in the world is in the center of God's will. Because there's no telling that when you're plunged into the middle of God's will, what he is going to lead you to or what he is going to ask you to do. Okay, moment of honesty right now. Think through the stories of the Old Testament and the New Testament, okay? Think of those stories that are out there, crazy, outlandish. Think of some of the things that God has called his people to do and situations that he's led them into, okay? God is absolutely nuts, all right? There is no telling what he will expect you to do. That's why here at FOF, it's part of our, um, our membership covenant and what stands behind the DNA of what we believe and what we think, there's, there's this line right in the middle that says we believe the only way to truly discover the depths of what God is calling us to do is by stepping out of our comfort zones and taking leaps of faith. Following him is extreme. It involves deserts and fasting and goat demons and ostriches. And the life of faith is an adventure. Isn't this so different than the way that most people like to frame Christianity who sit on the outside of it? How many times have you heard people say things like Christianity is a crutch for people who can't deal with life? Christianity is nothing but, 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 a, but a mental safety net for old ladies who don't know how to deal with it. I look at the Christianity of the Bible and I see something far opposite. I see God calling people into the depths of insanity and into the middle of wildernesses 
as a part of his will. Again, let me say it. One of the most dangerous places you can ever find yourself is in the middle of God's will. However, it's also in those dangerous places that God often comes to visit and deliver his people. And so we have this story. And Jesus is led by the the Spirit of God into the wilderness. It says that it happens, right, if you're looking, it happens right after his baptism. And he goes out into the wilderness to be tempted for, for how long? 40 days. Now, immediately, if you know the story of the Bible, certain imagery, certain illusions should start coming up. And I'm here to tell you that, that if you're catching it already, those illusions, that imagery, it's intentional. Because what Jesus is doing out in the wilderness is he is repeating, if you will, or reliving the wilderness experience that the people of ancient Israel went through when God delivered them out of Egypt. Do you know the story from the Old Testament? Read it in Exodus sometimes, sometime. God has this chosen people called Israel, and for 400 years, they're in slavery and bondage. They call out to God for deliverance. God sends a man named Moses who comes through the power of God through plagues and darkness and everything else to bring them out of Egypt. As they go, they have to travel out of Egypt towards a promised land, Canaan, the nation of Israel as we know it today. And in between Egypt and Israel is what? A desert. And as they go through this wilderness or through this desert, well, they're tempted. They're tempted by their weakness. They're tempted by their failures. They're tempted by their desires. They're tempted because, well, they're a lot like us. They're sinful and in the heart of heart. And throughout this journey, they fail again and again and again. Fail temptation after temptation after temptation. And the result is God tells them that they have to live out there as punishment for how long? 40 years. And what do we see? We see God by his spirit leading his son, his son Jesus, just like he led his son Israel before that, after they were baptized through walking through the water of the Red Sea into the wilderness to be tempted just as Israel was for 40 days. It's like Jesus is putting himself in the exact same situation as that previous son of God, Israel, found themselves earlier in the story. Are you with me? You see how this works. And while he's out there, it says that for 40 days, he didn't eat. He didn't drink, right? I don't know how that works, but that's what it says. He didn't eat. He didn't drink. And in the uh, most understated line of all scripture, and he was hungry. And it says that after the 40 days, the devil comes and tempts him. And don't you notice this? The devil never comes snooping around when we're feeling good, right? He never comes around when we're like mountaintop, feeling strong, on our game. He always comes and catches us when we're at our worst, our weakest, our lowest. Keep your eye open for that. And while he's out there, it says the devil comes after Jesus three times in three specific ways. Now, the key to understanding these three ways is to keep them in a mirror kind of fashion with what Israel failed on earlier. The first test is this. The first temptation was this, and you can read along with me. 
It's 40 days and Jesus is hungry. And the devil comes up to Jesus and he says, do you see these stones? And have you ever been to the Middle East? You know, I, I haven't. But I'm told there's stones like everywhere, right? It's just like Rock City. Do you see these stones? Turn them to bread. I've always struggled and wondered, what's wrong with that? I mean, he knew how to do it. I I mean, is it like he's violating the stone's rights or something like that? I I have a stone and I'm autonomous. I mean, I don't think the stones really care. It's not hurting anyone, is it? And you hear all kinds of weird things come up like, well, he needed to just trust in God for him to provide. Oh, really? Does that mean that we can't do the things within our power to provide for ourselves? If you really believe that, go sit on your couch for a a millennium and let God take care of you, right? It's not what God calls us to do. What is wrong with this? But if you understand it in relation to what Israel did, it starts to make sense. From Exodus chapter 16, do you remember the Israelites in the story uh, before crying out things like this? We're in the desert. There's nothing to eat. There's thousands of us. If only we had died by the Lord's hands in Egypt, it said. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. This was the gripe of ancient Israel from day one. If Israel mastered anything, it was this. Grumbling against God. They were always grumbling against God. Taking issue with him pushing back on him, fighting with him, calling him out, challenging him, it never stopped. It's a lot like us, isn't it? I mean, just hang around a church for a while if you want to hear people grumble against God. It's everywhere. And in the midst, Jesus comes to find himself tempted by Satan with the exact same thing. It's kind of like the devil's trying to get under his skin, right? Hey, you like Israel? Hey, you like them? This sucks, doesn't it? God led you out here. What's God doing? Why would God do that to you? Why would God make you go hungry for 40 days? Why would God want you to live in the wilderness? Doesn't God want to be happy? And you see how the temptation starts to come up. Is Jesus going to grumble against God or is he going to accept the station that he finds himself in at that place in time? What's Jesus' answer? People don't live by bread alone. They live by the word of God. That's what's important to me. I'll accept that station here, and Jesus does not fall into temptation. Now, the devil comes again. This time, the storylines start to converge in Matthew and Luke. If you read again in Matthew, it says he takes him to the top of the pinnacle of the temple, okay? He takes him to Jerusalem. Did they actually, like, fly there? Was it like a vision they were having? I don't know, all right? But they find themselves at the top of the pinnacle of this temple. And, and, And the devil comes at him again, and he says, throw yourself down. Throw yourself down. Let everyone see it. Because you know what? God has promised you something. Hasn't he said in the Psalms that he'll command his angels concerning you? Isn't it just stink when when the devil quotes scripture? 
when he takes God's story and uses it as a weapon against God's story, doesn't it say he's going to send his angels and guard your ways and protect you? Israel found themselves in a place like that too. Back if you read the, uh, the Exodus, it says constantly that the Israelites quarreled and tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? It's interesting if you think about it. What is the number one reason in the Gospels that the Jews would claim to reject Jesus? On what basis? What would they always say? What miracle are you going to do? What sign are you going to do? What kind of supernatural exposition are you going to show that we can see you and believe? I don't know about you. I kind of think throwing yourself off the top of a building and having angels come and pick you up kind of constitutes a sign. How about you? It's fascinating if you read Jewish Midrash. They would say that when the Messiah comes, you would know him because he would actually cast himself from the top of the temple and be delivered by God. And the devil is trying to get Jesus to play into his hands because this is the other thing Israel failed at all the time. Trusting God. What are signs really about? I don't trust you at your word. I need evidence. Isn't it? I don't trust you for what you said you're going to do. I need something to see, to latch onto. And Israel failed in the wilderness this way. Is God among us or not? Where is he? We don't see him. He did a miracle back then, but what miracle is he doing today? And Satan comes to Jesus. Can you really trust that God who said he'll deliver you? Can you really trust that God's word is true? Cast yourself down and make him prove it. And Jesus passes the test. And so he comes a third time. And according to Matthew, this time he takes him into a high mountain. And it says in an instant he shows him the kingdoms of this world. And he simply comes out and says, Jesus, bow down and worship me, and all this will be yours. Because Israel struggled on something else as well. Right after God led them into the wilderness, what did they say? Come, make us gods who will walk before us, and then they made a golden calf. Moses is still up on the mountain getting Ten Commandments, and they're down below already being enticed by other things. Because ancient Israel didn't only grumble against God. They didn't only struggle to trust God. Fundamentally, they struggled to have their loyalty be with God and to put him first. Because, guys, sin at some level always boils down to this. Making something else a priority before God himself. And sometimes that's generated by weakness, right? Sometimes it's generated by fear. Sometimes it's simply generated by desire. That looks good. And Jesus comes back and says, away from me, Satan. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. I look at these three temptations And maybe just a couple of observations about this story and about what happened to Jesus that day. 
Number one is this. I look at these and I kind of realize that at one level, most sin is really nothing more than a timing issue. Think about it. Sin can usually be defined by the term now. I want sex now. I want to shove my face now. I want that now. I want vindication now. Think about all three of these temptations. Jesus, have your bread now. Jesus, prove yourself. Show your glory now. Jesus, have the kingdoms of the world now. Guys, every good thing that I just mentioned, every good thing that God has created, do you know that God has promised you? Prosperity and abundance. Pleasure, wholeness, glory, honor. What does he say to to the kingdoms of the world? you'll, you'll, You'll reign over the world with me, Jesus tells his followers. But the problem is when we get in the way with the word now. And what Jesus knew is something that I think that we can benefit from, that, 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 that suffering comes before glory. And that sin is so easily lurking at the door when we want to trade suffering and skirt it to have the glory now. Something else I find fascinating about this story. Jesus is faced with the exact same thing ancient Israel is. Jesus is faced with the exact same thing we are, right? Grumbling against God, trusting God, loyalty to God, but Jesus is the only one who has ever done it successfully. There's this great passage in Hebrews. Just, just, just read. I think it's so easy for people to think of God as distant, removed, to think of God as someone who, who just doesn't get it. You ever feel that way, that God just doesn't understand, that God just doesn't get it? The story of Jesus in the wilderness would say otherwise, that he is faced, guys, by everything that you and I have had to face He knows what it's like, but he did it successfully, and we have an ally in him. And here's this final thing. So often, I think people see the story of Jesus being tempted, and and they want to, like, turn it into a method. You know what I mean? Here's five steps to avoid temptation. Or when the devil comes lurking, here's three ways to get around it. We want to look to Jesus as the example. But guys, this story is not a story about method. It is not a story about example. It is not a story about how to deal with temptation. It is a story about how awesome Jesus is. Because what this story is about is not teaching us how we got to kind of suck it up and fight against it. It's teaching us that there is one out there who beat it, who went head to head with Satan in the wilderness, who stood in our behalf just like he stood in behalf of ancient Israel, right? 
There is one who relives our story and puts himself in the place of me and you. That whenever you fail at temptation, Jesus says, I put myself in the place of you. That whenever you struggle and whenever you fall and whenever you blow it again, Jesus says, I put myself in the place of you because that's what Jesus is about. Jesus is about taking the stories of failure in the past and reversing them. He's about taking the stories of the past and reliving them again and this time getting it right. What this is a story about is that there's a devil out there in a world that, 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 that leads us to failure. But there is one who is greater, who goes into the wilderness to put himself in your behalf. And while he's out there, he gets into the restoration business. He gets into the business of saying, no matter how many times you fail, I'm here to restore it. No matter how messed up it got and how wilderness it got, I'm here to bring Eden reborn to bring rebirth and new life. That's what I do for you. The story of Jesus' temptation is about a God who comes down to face what you face, to live what you live, and to experience what you experience. Guys, and I mean it, down to the darkest pits. But to come out victorious and say, my victory is for you. That's why in Mark it could say he's out there with the wild animals. He's out there with those ostriches and he goats dancing around, and he ain't afraid because the one more powerful is here. And that's who you've got batting for you every time you're tempted. So guys, I want to invite you to rise. Let's pray. What's your failure? What's your temptation? Bring it to God today. But instead of trying to fight it by your own power, I encourage you in this moment Invite Jesus' victory to be yours. Let's pray. God in heaven, we come before you as people who who fail. God is is people who are so easily led astray. God, each of us here has that that place in our life, that that, chink in our armor, that that, that sore spot, that, that root of bitterness or that that vein of fear or that run of jealousy or envy or desire. God, we, 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 we argue with you. We grumble against you. Kick our feet and shuffle around and find ourselves cynical against you. Lord, we struggle to trust you. Lord, we struggle to put you first in our life. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming and standing in our behalf. Thank you for reliving the story and bringing honor to God through it. Thank you for putting yourself in our shoes 
giving yourself for each of us here. And God, when we face the struggles and temptation, may our eyes be rooted on you. May they be fixed on you. May we claim your victory on our behalf. This we pray. Amen.